This is Running the Race with Pastor Eddie Pinero of Calvary Chapel of Milford in Milford, Pennsylvania. God provides all I need as the shepherd. He lays me down a green pasture because sheep would not lay down on dirt. They were not. And you see, God is a great shepherd. He knows all our needs. I would never, ever, ever leave you. And if you need water, you need drink, you need food on the table, you need the Holy Spirit, God is faithful. I would never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Have you ever thought about the promises of God? Maybe someone in your life made a promise and they let you down. There's betrayal and it can be hard to trust again. In today's message, Pastor Eddie will be sharing about the perfect promises of God. There's no way for him to be faithless. We know that God is a man of his word and will fulfill every single one of his promises. We just have to learn how to trust his word. Well, let's join Pastor Eddie in the book of Hebrews chapter 13 as he continues his message, Concluding Exhortations. Remember, we have family through the blood of Christ, and they're suffering, they're in prison, they're being persecuted, being mistreated, and we need to remember them. That's the idea. Now, according to Open Door USA, this is a survey that they took around 2021, a couple of years ago, 360 million Christians live in countries where persecution was significant. About 5,600 Christians were murdered. 6,000 were detained and imprisoned. Another 4,000 plus were kidnapped. In addition, more than 5,000 churches and other religious facilities were destroyed. Now, we know the list keeps going on and on and on. And this is why we ought to remember them. I'm sure if you catch some of them, they wouldn't want to be saved. They want to be prayed for. They want you to pray for those that are persecuting them, that they may come to know Jesus Christ. We don't know what persecution is in our country, in the West here. We have no idea. But we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are part of the universal body of Christ around the world that are suffering. We need to keep them in prayer as if we're chained with them. So remember that. We're chained with them, not in the chain of bondage, but in far as suffering because we're one. That's what Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 26. He said, and if one member suffers, some, no, All members suffer with it. And if one member is honored, all the members rejoice with it. We are part of the body of Christ. And in the same way, you would have a loved one that would be suffering and needs prayer and needs help. You would pray and you would help them. It's the same for those who are suffering. As we speak, we we have the freedom and the liberty, but that's for now. (laughs) And we're the minority right now. Everything has changed. The climate has changed. It's changed rapidly. But in other parts of the world, we have brothers and sisters who are suffering for Christ. Now, if possible, remember them. If possible, reach out to them. Care for them. Minister to them. And even save them. 
Believe it or not, I personally know a man who's a Green Beret, and for years, he's part of a ministry. He doesn't identify it, but he goes out with other retired military experts who go out to these countries, and they save Christians. There is such a ministry, and there are quite a few of them, but I happen to know one personally. And he doesn't advertise. He doesn't have a website, obviously, for obvious reasons, but what they do is they save Christians, who are suffering in all these countries. So pray. I could, I, I could really say that he really took Hebrews chapter 13, verse 3 seriously. Let's look at the fourth exhortation. and talks about marriage is to be honored. Marriage is to be honored. That's the fourth exhortation. That's in verse 4. Right of Hebrew writes this, marriage is honorable among all. Among all. It should be held with honor by all. And marriage is Sadly, I really have to say this, and it is no laughing matter, but I have to say marriage between one biological man and one biological woman. And I don't mean those who feel they're not the gender they are, they need prayer. They don't need to be knocked down. They're not Christians. We can't expect them to be like that. We should be praying for them. But Marriage between one biological man and one biological woman has been instituted by God. And, and this, this, this is something that God ordained before sin entered the world. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 to 6, Have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female? He made them wonderfully, beautifully out of his glorious image. God created man and woman without alteration, without surgeries. They should be knowing that God loves them just the way they are, but refuses to leave them that way. He had made them male and female and said, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife, and the two shall be one flesh. That's how God sees a marriage. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. Now, it's interesting that the word honorable here in the Greek is timios, and is mentioned 14 times in the New Testament. It means precious, valuable, costly, of great price. So a marriage is precious. It is valuable to God, and that's the way it ought to be kept. It is sacred. It is beautiful. So he says in verse 4, marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. It's to be pure. Sexual relationship and intimacy is to be within the framework of marriage. Marriage. Married legally, whether you go to city hall or you go before, do it right. That is a sin any other way because that's considered Fornication, we'll look at that a little bit. But Paul wrote to the church in Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2. He said, nevertheless, because of sexual immorality, let each man have his own wife and let each woman have her own husband. When you're in a marriage, you're in a covenant relationship with a spouse, and you break that covenant, you commit adultery, you have defiled the bed. It is no longer pure. Praise God, God can restore, and he does. There's some kind of taboo about divorces and things like that, but, you know, God forgives. The only sin God does not forgive is the sin of rejecting him. Because how, if you reject, the only one that can forgive you 
how can you be forgiven of any sin? And so God has ordained marriage and has given it the biblical standards for marriage, and we find that. So he goes on to say in verse 4, marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled, but fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. Fornication is very simple. Fornication is sex outside of marriage. Adulterers are those having sex with someone else other than their spouse. And if you do, you defile the bed. And so believers in Christ as children, we are not to conform to the values of this world and yield to desires of the flesh. The world would say, it's okay to live with them. Go shack up. Go live with them. It's unbiblical. It's fornication. It's a sin. It's sexual immorality. God does not identify that. He does not. Don't look at me. I don't care. Listen, I'm gonna, I don't want to be politically correct or be woke or be canceled. No, I'm going to be biblically correct here. Because it is a sin. You know, I have people say, well, you know, pray for my marriage. And say, so, you're not even married. <laughs> I say, I'm going to pray that you do it right. Because God doesn't identify that relationship. He does not because it's sin before his eyes. Every night and every day that you live, not being married is a sin. And so the world would tell you, oh, yeah, don't worry, live. That's what they tell you. But God says differently. It's amazing how I've heard people say, oh, it's just a piece of paper. Yeah, so is your license. So is your degree, your diploma. It's amazing how those things are important. But when it comes to marriage, it's not important. You love them so, if you love them that much, you can't even sign a piece of paper. Walk away. Walk away. Leave the house, get right with God, and do it right. If that's a person you want to marry, do it right. If he tells you not now, later, we know later. Sometimes it never happens, and you hear it all the time. He said he was going to marry me. It's been five years now. She said she was going to marry me. It's been 20 years now. It's sin. It's fornication. We're not to be conformed to this world. But what does it say At the end of verse 4, these three words, God will judge. God will judge. Don't take what God has ordained lightly. And so, Paul again says to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 6, verses 9 to 10, he says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. These things are unholy to God. And so do right. You know, not too long ago when we were in town here, we had a service and I spoke about marriage and, you know, how it's fornication is a sin, is not... God doesn't view those relationships. And praise the Lord. Two couples came up and they felt convicted. And they said, we want to do it right. We had one couple that's been together for seven years decided to get married. We had another couple that's been together for 12 years. And they decided to get married. And we actually said, hey, let's keep it simple. You're not talking about this. We actually had the service in our church. After service, we actually officiated the wedding the next following Sunday. Do it right. Do it right. Stand before God. You want God to honor your marriage? Let you know. Judy and I celebrated 36 years. Pray for her. 36 years. 
36 years. We never, no, let me stop. We never had a fight. No, just kidding. <laughs> Judy would tell you, we need God. <laughs> I would tell you, I need God. You always need God. There's always a third person in the marriage. So do it right. And so do not be deceived. Let's look at the fifth exhortation. Do not love money. Do not love money. Look at verse five. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Now, depending on the translation you have, some translation does not have the word covetousness. It has the words not loving money. That is the right translation because the Greek word for covetousness here is not loving money. That's the Greek word. That is the same Greek word you'll find in 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy chapter 6 tells us this. For the love of money, that's that same Greek word, is the root of all kinds of evil for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Now, it's not money is evil. It's the love of money that's evil. And I can tell you, uh, you know, growing up in church, money has destroyed people, has, has many sorrows, and people have strayed from the faith. I was part of a church in the city where Judy and I attended a church in the city. They actually allowed a pyramid scheme in the church. And it was okay by the pastor right up front. And the board, he said, we in the board looked it over, we find nothing wrong with it. Yeah, because everybody was tithing off illegal money, of course. And, you know, my family and I, we weren't a part of it. So, you know how they treated us with love. Yeah. Anyway, so what happened was, sadly, we knew of this young man who, before he was married, we knew him as a teenager. He was eventually got married, and he got really heavily involved in this pyramid scheme where, you know, you know how pyramid schemes, if you ever heard how it works, it crumbles at the very end. People were asking him, we wanted their money back because it started to crumble. And what happened was they ended up chasing him. He went in his car, a BMW at that time, and they were chasing after. It was a car chase. These guys wanted their money back, and the car flipped over. He ended up dying. But what made matters worse, the woman that was in the car with him wasn't his wife. The love of money. The love of money. Be satisfied. Look what it says. It continues on. It gives us the sixth ex- exhortation is to be satisfied. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. We need to learn how to be content with what we have. To be content is not something you come up with. It's not something else you're born with. Apostle Paul said you have to learn. He had to learn it. Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13, Paul writes this, Not that I speak in regards to need, for I have learned, I have learned, in whatever state I am, to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. To be content is something we need to learn. God is faithful. He knows your needs. That's what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 8. Jesus says, for your father knows the things which you have need of before you ask him. The key word is need, not want. We have a lot of wants, don't we? I want a Harley Davidson. I want a yacht. No, I don't don't fish. 
only because when I went to camp, the girls were catching fish. I didn't, so I've been traumatized ever since. But <laughs> there's a lot of things I want. I can't have, but do I need it? Don't need it. But here's amazing. God knows your needs before you even ask. Jesus went on to say in Matthew chapter 6, in verses 31, 32 of that same chapter, Therefore, do not worry, saying, What shall we eat? What shall we drink? Or what shall we wear? For after all these things, the Gentiles, not meaning opposite of Jews, but meaning sinners, seek. For your heavenly Father knows that you have need of these things. Notice, he didn't say a house. He didn't say a few camels. The things that we need, that's the important, the things that you need. Paul writes in Philippians chapter 4, verse 19, And my God shall supply all your, not wants, needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. He will supply all your needs according to his riches. How rich is God? Don't even bother. There's no such number. Everything we have, he of value is created by his hands. So it's not your needs. I have a friend, pastor of mine from California, who would always say this. If I don't have it, I must not need it. If I need it, God will give it. Very simple. Very simple. It's a lot of things we want. But here, keeping this in context, look what he inserts here at the end of verse 5. It's to bring comfort to us. Not only that God knows us, but look what he says. He says, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, we use this verse quite often. It's good. It's comforting. I love verses like this because it assures me that God is with me no matter what, whether it involves anything that I need, but maybe it could be I need to grow and mature. I'm going through trials and tribulation, whatever it might be. But here, keeping this in context, look, there is no need that God doesn't know we need. (laughs) You know? And he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Now, if you read this, these words in the Greek, it contains two double negatives. So if I was to translate this, verse 5, I will never leave you nor forsake you, in English, it would read like this, I will never, ever, ever leave you. That's how it's read. I will never, ever, ever leave you. Never, ever, ever. When you read that passage, it's quoting from the Old Testament, I will never, ever, ever. So if God's ever let it, no, he never did. Never has. He dwells in our heart. He's always with us. That's the beautiful thing about the Lord. And you know, I think the psalmist, David, knew this very well. We know Psalms 23, the Lord is my shepherd, right? Oh, it's there. In the very first verse, it says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Interesting. Study that chapter. It's an amazing chapter. We have it framed up. Many of us know it by heart. But if you actually study the details of a shepherd and a sheep, you'll understand how faithful God is as a good shepherd. The shepherd knows the needs of the sheep. He said he leads me, he takes me to green pastures. And what the shepherd would do before he takes them to green pastures, he would check to make sure there's no what they call local weeds because it could poison the sheep. So he prepares a table before me. He leads me to still waters. You know that sheep would not drink water if it's running. The only time the sheep would actually go down and drink water if the water is still. They have to see the reflection. If a sheep does not see its reflection, it would not drink. 
He leads me to still waters. He anoints my head with oil. Here's the spiritual part. He feeds us, gives us food, drink, and the spiritual. He anoints my head with oil. What a shepherd does in those days, they would put oil on the nostrils of the sheep. Because what the sheep would do is, what happens, fly season comes, flies would go in their nostrils and lay eggs. It would drive them crazy. They don't have hands to take it out. So what they do is they rub their nostrils of stone and bare ground until they bleed to death. Flies is a symbol of something unclean. The oil is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. See, God provides all needs as the shepherd. He lays me down a green pasture because sheep would not lay down on dirt. They were not. And you see, God is a great shepherd. He knows all our needs. I would never, ever, ever leave you. And if you need water, you need drink, you need food on the table, you need the Holy Spirit, God is faithful. I would never leave you nor forsake you. Amen? Amen. Let's look at verse 6 and we're coming to a close. He goes on to say, So we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? He's with us. There's security as well. Thy rod and thy staff comforts me. The shepherd's crook, they're good to bring that sheep that keeps going astray. But they also know how to throw that shepherd's crook. And they're really skilled where the shepherd could actually throw that and hit the nostril of a wolf. The writer is quoting Psalms 118, verse 6. It says, the Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What can man do to me? And we live in a time where we're being challenged and, you know. But Jesus said in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. But rather fear him, that is the Lord, who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. What can man do to me? Absolutely nothing. Actually, the worst he can do to you is the best he can do to you. <laughs> What's the worst the enemy a man can do to you? Is take your life. But to a believer, what the Paul says, absent of the body to be present with the Lord, right? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 8. We are confident, yes, well pleased, rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. And so we continue on. We have Jesus Christ, our great shepherd. And so as children of God, as believers in Jesus Christ, we have a responsibility. We have the right to be called sons and daughters. We have the right to be children of God. And these six exhortations are important for us. So I encourage you to take it home, read it, study, meditate on it. We have the help of the Holy Spirit so we can fulfill our duties and responsibilities as believers in Jesus Christ. Amen. Aren't you glad you decided to join us today on Running the Race? Pastor Eddie has been making his way through the book of Hebrews in a series, Jesus is Better. We're learning some great truths about Jesus coming to be all that the Old Testament had talked about. The strength of God's Word and how it's fulfilled is something mighty to ponder. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the Word of God is living and powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We pray that God's Word has been a discerner of your heart today. We're so glad you joined us for Running the Race. Running the Race is a radio ministry out of Calvary Chapel of Milford. 
If you're in the New York, New Jersey, or Pennsylvania area, Jessica has an invitation for you. We'd love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel of Milford. We're conveniently located off Interstate 84 and Route 6. For service times and all the information you need, visit runningtheraceradio.com and click on the Back to Homepage button. While you're there, you can listen to this teaching again or explore more messages from Pastor Eddie. Again, that website is runningtheraceradio.com. Thanks, Jessica. Head over to runningtheraceradio.com to learn more about the church and hear more messages. Pastor Eddie has more to share with you in the book of Hebrews, so make sure you come back to hear more next time, here on Running the Race.